You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, Station One listeners, and thanks for returning back with us for this bonus episode of Earth Station One, where we're continuing talking about angels in America. And we have the same crew we had this last episode. And if you haven't listened to the previous episode and you're like thinking that we're going to talk about the whole thing from the beginning again, go listen to the last episode. It's available up on iTunes or, or Apple or whatever, wherever you can find a good podcast. Please. Definitely go check it out. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Let me know what you guys have thought about us doing this, you know, subject matter because it is kind of sensitive and it's very powerful. And it's been a lot of I don't want to say fun because, but it was it's been meaningful to talk about a lot of this, and mm-hmm. it's been pretty amazing. So please write us feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. Of course, we have Mr. Mike Gordon with us again. Howdy. We have Darren Noel with us. Hi, everybody. And the lovely and talented Mary Ogle. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Yep, it is great to be here, and thank you for everyone coming back. This is this this is just too big of a topic just to you know just do in one forty five minute segment like we do usually for the main topic on the show. So, absolutely, absolutely, and and we talked to someone. Uh, I talked to someone uh, just yesterday about what we were doing and how we were you know it was so big that we had to break it up into two parts, and they're like, "Oh, you're doing that because the play broke it up in two parts." So I'm like. Yes, yes, we are. We're that smart. We yes. did it that way. Yes, we did. Very brainy of us. Very, very brainy. <laughs> yeah, we meant that to do that. Wink, all wink, nudge, nudge. Sure. Yes. <laughs> sure. So, how, Darren, let me ask you real quick as before we get started. How long was it between the two plays coming out? Um, It was uh, two years. Okay. I so believe. That's yeah. a big wait. That is a yeah. big weight. For... It's a big weight for a cliffhanger, right? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> big time. Makes that Lacutus of Borg thing look like nothing, doesn't it? So... Who shot JR? We... I, I don't think most of us knew that we were getting a second part. When it came out, it was just Angels in America Millennium Approaches. Right. And at the end of it, we're like, oh. And then the lights came up and we're like. That's it? Oh, okay. 
that's interesting. We'll, we'll go home and think about that for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- we, we felt probably like a lot of people at the end of Infinity War. That's it? Yeah, that's how that's they're it. ending it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a saying in theater that theater exists to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. So as an audience member, if you go in knowing it's going to be something that's going to speak to your heart, is going to be a very close to your world topic, you expect it to do some comforting. If it's something that you're not familiar with and you're going because you have season tickets and you go anyway, and that happens a lot because a lot of people support the theater and they just go to everything and they don't pay attention to what it is. They have season tickets to the Fox or Woodruff or their local theater, and they go no matter what's playing because they've already paid for the the tickets, right? It's like season tickets for... Yeah, you don't want to lose the seats and it's like season tickets for a, a football team or a baseball t- team that kind of stinks. You go anyway. You know what the ending's probably going to be, but you go anyway because <laughs> um, you paid for them. And in the intermission time, you get to hear what people actually think about what's going on on stage. And it's, it was interesting to hear what people were saying on stage about this play and other plays that handled gay topics in the 90s and the 2000s. I remember going to Rent and hearing two older women say oh it's one of these gay plays again you know like they've seen this before but i'm like really yeah I, if i said that every time i saw a straight piece of fiction yeah. i'd be saying it all the time so you know what, whatever you know oh exactly and that's the thing with this you know i would you know like judy was saying when we were watching it she says i gotta see the play now i really mm-hmm. gotta see the play is are is there where places for us to go see the production or I, there are houses that will do it on occasion, but it's such a monumental feat. You really need to go see it in a in a house that is built to do one fly-ins because the angel has to fly. Oh, you're of not course. Gonna, you're not going to see this at a college uh, unless it is like a hugely funded drama program. Um, you're going to have to go see it somewhere that is funded well by the NEA. You're not going to go see your local rep theater. Do no, this. no. I mean, you could, but. I don't know how they would do the angel thing. That's that's what we call a challenge in theater, not an obstacle. But I think it would be very, very challenging for them to do it effectively. Well, but, at my community college uh, back in the day, we did. A, I was in a um, a version of of uh, Peter Pan. And were you uh, Peter? Please say you're no, Peter. Uh, oh, please Peter. say you're Peter. <laughs> were you Tinkerbell? Uh, <laughs> oh no, yeah, there you go. No. Uh, <laughs> Well, that only leaves Captain Hook and Smee. So I, who were I, you? I was I was a pirate. I was You're an unnamed pirate. pirate number four or something. Pirate like number four in the chorus. <laughs> I know. At one point, I had to walk the plank. So. Oh no. Yes. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So, but I. But you know, to the point. Whereas uh, you know, our our Peter Pan had to, was on rigs, so mm-hmm. yeah. uh, she had to fly. So I mean, it's a dangerous uh, thing to do. I mean, oh yeah, it's a dangerous thing all... to do no matter what. Like yeah. <laughs> like spelunking indoors it's like no this is not something that you want to do as a as as an actor but usually when angels is put up it's put up in the epic theater style which is just like roy Cohn's office would have been his desk and a phone and some papers on top of it that would have been it you know you're not getting the full effect and in epic theater the actors it's easier for them to switch out characters because the actors are playing a part and they're letting the audience know they're playing a part. They're not trying to be that person. 
it's this is really kind of deep into theater uh, acting theory <laughs> with uh, Bertolt Brecht, who did that whole epic theater where the actor would break character and address the audience directly during a play about social commentary, political commentary, and then he would turn back um, into the character and do more of the play at that point. And of course, this is going to be full circle. Brecht was called up in front of the House and American Activities Committee <laughs> because he was probably a communist. And, you know, Roy Cohn can't have that. And yes, and even more so because uh, the, this, this miniseries ends uh, with a direct uh, address to the audience. Direct yes. address to the audience. Yep. I was going to ask you if the, if the play does that as well, if the play, if the play ends jumps, exactly the same, jumps five years ahead. It ex- because at exactly that point the they same. were, yeah. they were predicting the future. Whereas by the time uh-huh. we, this, this miniseries is made, it's still the past. Yep. That it's exactly the same speeches. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's pretty amazing. That yep. is it. It, this thing was just so powerful and episodes four five and six took it to a whole new level. Yeah, th- uh, that's why you really have to break it up one, two, three, and four, five, six as two separate things. It's not just that they're two separate plays; they are written differently. Mm-hmm. The, the language is different. The language in part two is much more flowery. It's much more metaphorical. It's much more, you know, fantastic, poetic, yeah, yeah poetic. And and the first part is very much slice of life play. Here's a husband and a wife. They're having marital troubles. Here's a husband or two boyfriends, they're having marital troubles. He's sick, you know, but now we get into the whole more fantastical part of it where the angel has arrived and crap is going down. Oh yeah. Very much so. You know, uh, you get a couple of, in the first part, you get a couple of dreams, some delusions, uh, a couple of other visions or whatever. And of course the angel at the end, but in part two, it's like, every like 10 minutes something fantastic is going on Mm -hmm. uh so yeah it does have a different rhythm to it for sure yeah i feel like we just keep going more and more inward in in Mm -hmm. the second play it's much more about all the turmoil that's going on inside Mm -hmm. well inside it reflects what's going on in the country too right right? exactly that's that's part of it it's basically a metaphor for what's going on totally (laughs) totally yeah and we have Harper who decides to take all the Valium in the world and go to Antarctica. <laughs> right? Oh, that yes. was funny. I thought she was just trapped in her refrigerator the whole time. <laughs> yeah, that, I don't think that would work. Nope, she was trapped no. in Brooklyn. Yeah, she yeah. was. Yeah. And she gnawed down. Which a pine I'm not tree. sure that would have worked either, but uh, okay. Well, and you the know, thought we'll of her gnawing it. down a, a pine tree with her teeth. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the fact that Mother Pitt sells her house and flies to New York to take care of her homo son. You know, yeah. that, who would do that? You would, <laughs> you would maybe fly and visit, but you wouldn't just sell your, your house and move to a strange city you've never been to before. You know, that, that was kind of crazy sauce. So, Yeah, I think <laughs> secretly she would have taken any excuse to get out of there. <laughs> probably. Yeah, we probably. find out a lot more about her under the surface, which is really mm-hmm. her her journey through the second half <laughs> is really interesting and unexpected. Yes, very. Because Mormons and gays don't typically mix, and they <laughs> hit upon that in the first part. We're like, oh, we don't believe in homosexuals in our church, and oh, we don't believe in Mormons in ours. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how that works. That's how that relationship is still to this day. There are 
gay Mormons being excommunicated from the church for whatever they want to call it, ungodly behavior. I don't know what the word is, but it happens, you know? People who still want to have a religious life and then are kicked out by their religious um, organization. And that's that's difficult. If, if the church has been a significant part of your life, it was for me growing up. I mean, I was in the church when it was open. That was a family thing. We were there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were there. And then <laughs> my mom and dad had a divorce, and they basically excommunicated the entire family from the church both sides and it's very difficult because that was like a line that you shouldn't cross in that church having a divorce um nowadays it's probably no big deal but back then in the uh 80s it was a big deal and to see how someone's religious underpinnings can be pulled out from underneath and it happens to gay people all the time churches tell you you're unworthy you can't be loved god doesn't love you you're going to hell all that all that jazz but you can still have a personal relationship with whichever creator you are with in your mind, or you can dump all that stuff and say, that's not for me anymore because that's not who I am. Either way is a completely valid way of living your life, I think. But I think it was important for Kushner to kind of tackle a little bit of that with Joe being a broken man by the end of this play. He's completely broken. He's, he has nowhere to go. And no one, and in the play, the last thing that happens to him is Harper slaps him and leaves and takes. Yeah, his credit. we don't yeah. we don't get a follow up five years later with Joe. No, Joe's yeah. not part of that crowd. I mean, you get yeah. the feeling he does not climb his way out. <laughs> no, yeah, right. I think mm-hmm. he's in a downward spiral. Right. Totally. And I I don't see good things happening to him. Nope, and I don't think you want good things to happen. To no, him. not he, at all. As, as this goes forward, he becomes. Uh, less and less likable and mm-hmm. um i mean i still you know um not not big on lewis and, yeah. and his i don't want to say because yeah i don't he doesn't get redemption in this but the fact that uh i don't know i mean in some ways he he gets acceptance rather and i don't even know if he des- deserves that really well he's he's doing penance right after after he leaves Joe and tries to go back to, to Pryor, right? When he realizes that he and Joe are not, this is not right, right? It was a. <laughs> when Joe a beats little, the crap out of him. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about on, on the beach. No, I know, says, I know what I'm, you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah when I've got to see Pryor again. When, when, when the guy you're breaking up with, like, all of a sudden strips naked. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in, the, in the cold weather, you're like, don't think this is going to work out you know a lot of plays put in a nude scene because ooh, that gets people to the theater ooh this actor is going to be nude on stage um and it it was titillating at the time i guess but when you realize the context of the scene is not a sex scene no it is is not sexy at all what patrick wilson is doing he's taking off all his clothes and bearing his soul and saying he's been flayed that's that's heartbreaking right there If, if you take out what Joe has been doing the entire time. That's heartbreaking for someone to do. Well, and then to stand on the exactly. beach alone, rejected. You know? Exactly. Just standing there vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And but, but the same thing happened to him when Harper did the exact same thing. Yep. Yeah, the thing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he did the same thing. Right. Yeah. Right. He hasn't yeah. learned well, I think, you know, he hasn't learned anything. <laughs> no, no. Not no. at all. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. You know, Harper, are you, you don't even see me. And she was there standing. Yeah, he there calls her nothing. Yeah. yeah. He says, what do you what see? Do you see? What do you see? <laughs> nothing. He's like, nothing. I'm like, 
I mean, I was surprised they actually had wrong a sex answer. Scene. <laughs> yeah, I was actually surprised that they did that because if you're going to have a sex scene, you want people to be passionate and into it. The fact that the only thing you heard was the squeaking of the bed and the headboard oh, banging against awful. the wall. It sounded like torture. Yeah, and I think that that's a, an important point about their their marriage was not working for either of them, and they had mm-hmm. to both go their separate ways, or else it was going to be destructive for both of them yeah i mean i you know? harper needed to leave yeah oh, i mean she needed to yes. leave she needed to leave Years the ago. city too i'm glad mm-hmm. that her her ending is that she just gets gets the hell out of there i, I yeah. think it, i find it interesting that she's on her way to san, san francisco, francisco oh. which is aka heaven heaven <laughs> yeah i don't think can, that's a coincidence you can read into that did harper take too many pills is she actually physically going to San Francisco? There, there's different ways. And because it's so fantastically written, you know, you're kind of left as an audience member going, is she really going to San Francisco? Or is she flying this plane to go up and be part of the ozone layer like she's right. talking about? Because she pockets right? the entire bottle of pills. She gives two of them mm-hmm. to, to Joe. To Joe. Yeah. But she yeah. takes the rest of them. And then you have uh, Belize and Ethel kind of taking turns as uh the angel of death for roy in the mm-hmm. hospital yeah. that whole scene of belize telling describing heaven to roy Cohn that oh. was the perfect example of how an actor is no longer going to be belize but they're going to be something else now mm-hmm. yeah and then they'll slip back into the character that they were doing this whole time yeah i noticed that too i was like wow it's, it's almost like he's being possessed um mm-hmm. because he lights up a smoke there, but I think at the Which, end of that, he doesn't have anymore. So I think it's no. like, it, yeah, like he's lighting up a smoke in the hospital. And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that, so that whole thing was kind of like, I don't think this is really Belize talking, especially since throughout the second half anyway, Belize seems to be, if there's, if there's someone who's the heart of the piece, it's Belize. Oh, very yeah. much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. He's taking care of Pryor. He's, by the way, that, that, funeral scene that they that he and Pryor go to most of the drag queens in that scene are in birdcage these oh. are these are famous drag performers in new york city um so that was a uh, a little uh, side eye towards that these these folks are actually professional drag people um love them love them for doing it they um especially when since you're doing... it can't be easy because it's like oh here we are doing like uh you know it's it's fake but we've been through mm-hmm. this well, you've been through this they're still yeah, going through this yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> so so like you know big trigger warnings across the board oh, right yeah yeah and it's difficult to film in any building but especially old churches because they have to turn the air off because the air will mess up with the sound mm-hmm they may have had it a little easier this time because it was a recording and she was lip syncing and they could have fully that in, but usually they have to turn the air off. And so it gets hot in there with all the people, all the lights, you know, you could just see the drag makeup beginning to drip. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, Oh, I hope they did this in one take. I really hope they got it in one take. But yeah, when, uh, when Pryor tells the flashback story of the angel wrecking his apartment really and giving him the prophecy of stop moving, and then it's all Pryor can do is he's got to keep moving, right? He he doesn't stand still much in the second part until he collapses in the uh, welcome center. He's there. afraid to stand still. Yep. Mm-hmm. He has to keep going. He has to keep moving. And he's fighting the uh, the prophecy. 
which yeah. is the, the, the tug of conservative and liberal politics, right? <laughs> it's, it's that thing again. He seems to be fighting the prophecy, and yet he's like he's dressed the part. You know, he's kind of like wandering around like this, you know, prophetic gnome. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> really standing out. Like you know, like as he's shadowing um, uh, Joe there. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. for a while, I'm kind of like, wow, you are really standing out. Like, <laughs> like if Joe looks well, behind him. Like that. That's gonna be hard to miss. I mean, in New York. I know. Yeah, was, but, and Joe was very blind <laughs> to what well, was yeah, going yeah. on around him. Mm. Yes. Oh, completely. <laughs> Always. Yeah. Did you love the scene of him finding him in the in the clerk's office and? Oh yeah. Going back out, and going. Oh, he made me feel beyond Nelly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, Belize walks in, and Joe recognizes him from the hospital. Like, oh, sweet mother of Jesus. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> Exactly. The world was coming too, too small and close too together. Too small, too quickly. Yep. Oh, yeah. And it, it was funny how they just kept, everyone kept on just missing each other. Mm-hmm. And it it was pretty awesome. It was. And then I love how the mother just, you know, got involved. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of was forced into it. But. Well, she could have left. Yeah, she could have walked yeah. away. Oh, I yeah, know. She didn't. But she, she allowed she did. herself yeah, to be pulled just, in deeper. She could have just thrown. It was obvious to me. That she felt that she had failed Joe. Yes. And she needed she needed someone to take care of. Yeah, um, she, she still she, needed to take care of her little boy because he is lost now. Right. right? And I and I think that uh she saw her, uh she yeah, she saw prior as that. Because at, like as because a boy who needed her because Joe rejected her earlier. Exactly, because Joe was doesn't need her. Or should needs her really, but won't, won't admit it. it. I mean, yeah. that that line of "you bring the desert with you." That, <laughs> wow, yeah. just wow. My mother would have slapped me had I said that to her. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it would not have been uh, just turn around. It would have I, been a. I found it really hard to concentrate on the scene in the Mormon Center between the two of them, uh, mother and son, because behind i think behind joe there was boxes and boxes of mormon action figures yes and i was like uh, like captain mormon and i'm like captain mormon is baby. that a real thing that, <laughs> like, that is a real thing i would not be shocked i would not be shocked if that was, that was like, a real thing. and i was like okay wait wait what i have to rewind it i'm like what are they saying again because i just got hung up on the whole mormon action figure thing <laughs> Well, I mean, speaking of Mormon action figures, my favorite part of this whole part two mm. ha- is Harper's conversation with the Mormon mother. Yes. Oh, on the plane. Yes. yes. The whole thing about how you change and it has to do with God. So it's not, it's not pleasant. No. Played, you know? so, wonder- mm-hmm. Played so wonderfully by Robin Wagert, um, yep. who is from, I know her from Deadwood uh, as, uh, as um, uh, oh man, I just, Calamity Jane. Well, yeah, um, she's like right there in the West, right? So, yeah, yeah. It wasn't yeah. a stretch, real quick. No, yeah. no, but she's she's such a solid actress, and and to have her just play this like small role, but it added so much weight to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and that scene, yeah, there's a lot of talk about change and what it takes uh, to mm-hmm. to move on, to move forward. I mean, yep. this whole thing is about moving forward, especially the confrontation at the end is about moving forward, not standing still. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, you know, and it, you know, how, how the, the angels quote unquote angels want, uh, want folks to stand still. 
mm-hmm. because they they have seen what our progress leads to. They say, mm-hmm. yes, right. So they they see that ultimately it is destruction for us. Oh, so it's destroying them. Yes, I mean it's, it is it's destroying them as bringing well. Bringing heaven down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's wrecking heaven. Heaven, I mean, heaven does not look heavenly. <laughs> although I did find it interesting that heaven looked more like Belize's description of heaven than oh, absolutely. Any, yeah. Any yeah, we, f- we find out that type. Belize was not lying. Like no. Belize was telling no. the truth that this is what heaven looks like. And sure enough, when we see it, we're like, yeah, this looks junky. Yeah, it looks very dreamlike, but it also looks like it's it's set in ruins. Oh, and it was beautiful. It was all it was black beautiful. and white. And, and ghostly oh, and very much so. And the, exactly, yeah. except yeah, for the like, red robe. And that was yep. just awesome. Yeah, really well. The cinematography was really good. Oh, it was beautiful. It was truly true. And I love when he got to uh, meet the, you know, I guess they were the guardians, ha- angels, or whatever they were. The, the principalities of the continent. Exactly. The continental the principalities. Of the Earth. <laughs> it, it, and it was all familiar faces. Yep. Mm-hmm. which was pretty awesome to see, you know, and it's like, I know you, I know you, you know. Yeah. The Wizard <laughs> so, of Oz reference. Did you like that? Oh, yeah. there, and, and you were there. there and I was, and I just wanted to go home. <laughs> it all goes back to Wizard of Oz. Oh, very later. much. So. <laughs> but, yeah, and then um, we get to um, when uh, Roy Cohn finally dies, he does get Ethel Rosenberg to finally sing. Ha ha ha. Um, but yeah, Roy finally cacks it. And then Belize takes the opportunity to steal the AZT because that is probably what is helping Pryor live longer than he normally would have probably. is that supply of drugs. Wait, and wait, wait. I, you don't, you don't think it's it. the angel's blessing? No, Come on. No. <laughs> I, I, I think the angels needed blessings for themselves, frankly, because they looked a hot mess. Yeah, I showed my mom this. And when it got to the point of him rejecting the prophecy, she told me to turn it off. Because it was sacrilegious. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, we're uncomfortable. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because, you know, Mother Pitt does say there is a precedent in scripture for someone rejecting, you know, their their prophecy and mm-hmm. God feeds them to whales. Oh. Which is a ridiculous sentence to say, but it's right there in the Bible. Jonathan. I almost expected when he was walking through the water to the bed and <laughs> for a whale to come, whale up. To come up and swallow him. Yeah, I was almost expecting. You no, know, there was that. that recent guy who got half eaten by the whale. <laughs> oh, jeez. So yeah, it, and it's amazing though. It was the whole scenes in heaven was just. It was, it was stunning. Filmed, yeah. Yes. And I love how everyone was, it must've been freezing that day because everyone was wearing their winter coats and the hat, the woolen hats and mm-hmm. everything. Even Emma Thompson. Oh, just amazing. in this. Mm-hmm. Well, it's freezing in heaven because God took the light away. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and, mm-hmm. and when they, they say hell freezes over, but heaven can too, I guess. Right. And mm-hmm. well, and they can't move on themselves. I mean, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. they think the answer is, is to maintain the status quo, that that will fix everything. When really the answer is <laughs> to get up and move, move on. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to, because I I just finished watching it last night myself for the second time. And and I'm still thinking, it's still processing, but <laughs> um, um, what are your opinions on so where do you think uh quote unquote god is because god has left according to the angel god went to spend time with man as opposed to hanging Mm. out in san francisco um 
and I'm just which you know I find it interesting also that that San Francisco is heaven in this, which is like I don't think that's a coincidence either, since mm-hmm. that's like you know uh, gay mecca exactly right. So uh, I the found that interesting. Land. As well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but you know the big the big problem is at least as far as the angels are concerned, why they need a prophet and everything is because God has left, uh, the Creator has left and uh has left the building and they don't know where he is and of course um prior is is suggests like when he comes back sue his ass um yeah uh for abandonment a very um, new york answer mm-hmm. well yeah very new york very. and you know i mean very close to home for him because of lewis right so yep. um but i don't yeah. know what do you what do you make of all of that or I'll what has you, been made of all that? Do you know, I'll let y'all answer that first. <laughs> I don't know if I can because I'm like I just, yeah, I'm not really sure where what. Yeah, I'm not really sure about that yet. Well, I think maybe what Tony Kushner was trying to say was that instead of looking for God for an answer, we should be looking at ourselves. And mm-hmm. you know the whole the whole point of the play is that. Out, outmoded ideas of of how the world works um, lead to stagnation, lead to destruction, and so you have to be willing to to educate yourself. You have to be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to see beyond the narrow confines of however you've been raised or what you've been told or the little box you've been put in. I mean, no. God. I think God is not literal god is a metaphor (laughs) for a resistance Mm -hmm. to change Mm -hmm. in in the context of the play agreed that's a good way to put it actually because you know and it's interesting how you had to move forward and you had the four of them at the end of the play those all four of them moved forward and got on and you know harp you know you didn't see harper and joe because they who knows what happened to them? Mm-hmm. But you saw the the four other four, and it was like they had grown since the last time we had seen them, and it, that's what made it so amazing about this. And got, it, it was it was a great way to. It was actually a great metaphor, especially like the mother, Mother Peck. She, you know, she was a, a New York, you know whatever you want to call her but she was she became you know at the end she was like mm-hmm. you know like the typical new york you know woman of the town in her well life. i mean she did have her squad to give her a, a good hairdresser <laughs> oh god yes <laughs> and everything but yeah it was so funny when when uh Ryder said that it was like yeah that's funny that was mm-hmm. uh, that made me laugh i think that was that was the f- First Are time. you a typical homosexual? Oh, I'm stereotypical. <laughs> <laughs> Which are, was you awesome. a, are you a hairdresser? He's like, he's like, no, but if I was, honey, <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be your lucky day. <laughs> that I think that made me belly laugh, like for the first time in the second half. I just was like, that is funny. That is really yeah. Funny. The, the second part's not big on humor. No, <laughs> no. but no. it does. Well, it does give you maybe, enough maybe to dark kind of, humor. Oh, very dark. Because, come on, you know, the scene where uh, uh, Pryor is wrestling with the angel was mm-hmm. hilarious in a lot of ways, like in a really crazy way, mm-hmm. because it's just this sort of silly, 
thing that is, you know, that I, I imagine that it was difficult for them not to burst out laughing while they were filming this many times mm-hmm. because it just was ridiculous. But it was, you know, uh, thanks to Meryl Streep selling it and the way it's filmed and the music and everything, the lights. I mean, it's very intense. It's very dramatic. But on the face of it, I'm like, man, if you'd seen behind the scenes, it was probably just goofy as hell. Oh, come on, Gordon. Don't tell me you wouldn't wrestle Emma Thompson any day of, of your life. Come Are you on. kidding me? In like, a heartbeat. To get the, in to a get, heartbeat. To, to get blessed like, like she can? I'm like, uh-huh. sign me up for that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought it was interesting. We did get you know, some hot girl-on-girl action with the angel yeah. and Mother Pitt. Yeah, I thought and that. And was... that may have completed Mother Pitt's transformation to move forward as opposed to standing still and that's the opposite of what the angel wanted so that's kind of weird absolutely we already we already kind of have hints of it you know i mean Mm -hmm. like you know joe's joe's getting it from somewhere genes wise right like Mm -hmm. and then that's that's the theory right 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 but but then also the fact that she's talking about men the way she does like yes. how she's just, yeah it's pretty you know, obvious she's like, that she is, <laughs> she's like she's like she men. has no use for men <laughs> yeah. at all she's like, like i mean that's mm. her biggest problem with homosexuality she's like why would anybody want to be interested in men anyway like i yeah. can't imagine the that. look on her face after she kissed the angel judy turned to me and was like i bet you that was her first orgasm ever <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> no no question about that at all no, no. question at all yeah, yeah. And so it was, it was, that whole scene was so well done. Mm-hmm. And then the ladder with the flames and it was just, and I love the angel said, I think I, you know, t- tore the muscle in my hip. And he says, oh, <laughs> big, <laughs> big deal. deal. My oh, yeah. Months. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she was, she was hilarious. Uh, the mm-hmm. angel, um, the, the I, I, eyes, of course, and the, and everything about that, it was like, you know, invoking the Holy Trinity, of course. Um, of course, yes. And, yeah. and, uh, and I do find it interesting. That's why I'm kind of still thinking about the whole, like, God thing, because, <laughs> yeah, they are still looking at, you Where know, is God? Where did he go? They're, they're, she. <laughs> exactly. Like, what, um, you know, um, but I, I do think Mary's onto something about mm-hmm. certainly, yes. I mean, don't look to uh, religion to solve the problems, because it's, no. it's mm-hmm. up to us, you know? And yeah, Exactly. I mean, I, I think that's the point they were making with because you've got at least two religions here, um, both Jewish and Mormon kind of, I don't want to say on trial, but they're, they're certainly looked at more in depth. And even though Christian religion is actually kind of hangs over this, even though it's not, I, we don't mm-hmm. really have a representative. I do think Belize has, has got some beliefs in that manner, but we never really get to hear it from him because, because nobody ever asks. Mm-hmm. It's like he's like his boyfriend. <laughs> I never felt Judaism was on trial on this at all. I never did. No, I, I just felt like this, these are this is an old religion and a fairly new religion, and I think that was uh, kind of the comparison that they were trying to right. go for there, mm-hmm. right? But where where God is is a very interesting question in this in this play because we have to go back to the beginning of where it started. It starts with the funeral of a Jewish immigrant to America. And it's called Millennium Approaches. So when you think about what Pryor says at the end with all of the horrible days of this century behind us, he's not talking about just the AIDS plague. He's talking about the world wars, the Holocaust, you name it, everything that's occurred. Oh, yeah. Um, it was just it's not, not just beginning. that exactly. snapshot. And that's why it's like God has abandoned both of us. Because 
why would God allow this to happen to his creations? Using the capital H is there, you know? So it is up to the individual person to interpret where God is. But as far as prior is concerned, God is not present on earth and he's not present in heaven. Right. So we're on our own. So we've got to solve this stuff ourselves. Yeah. And we, and even if we can't just exist- do thoughts and prayers. That right. doesn't work. <laughs> and <laughs> if, even if he does show up, it's who is ass, right? Like it's who like, is it ass. doesn't really, doesn't, yeah, he's, he's, he's irrelevant. I, I thought it was interesting. That they tied it back to the uh, San Francisco earthquake, like the biggest earliest disaster of the 20th century. Um, what was it? 1906. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it basically covers the entire, you know, 20th century talking about all the crap that has happened, all the wars, all the destruction, all the famine, all the plague, everything. And it's summing not, up in one big mess. It's not the first plague either. No, no, no not at all. So it's, it, it's an important question, but at the end of the day, it is up to us, the audience to kind of figure that out for ourselves. We just have to realize that uh, we leave with a blessing. Prior blesses everyone before the play ends. Mm -hmm. And he becomes our angel. Exactly. And he looked right at the camera and he was like, I, you know, every single one of you. And it was like, I was like, I'm not crying. I am not crying. (laughs) I am not crying here. In a way, in a way, even though he fights it, he does sort of become not a a prophet, prophet prophet prophet. for God, but a prophet for man. Yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does indeed. I mean, I think you can argue that and God needs to leave in order for things <laughs> to move mm-hmm. forward. That, um, you know, they, you can't, they, after you've created something, you can't just let it sit there. <laughs> then it mm-hmm. just becomes stagnation. Yep. And, and it goes back to just reading the Bible. The Bible's been used to persecute people all over the planet for Ever since it was written. I mean, you know? it still is. Um, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And it continues on. I mean, my middle name is Timothy. I'm named after two books of the Bible, which talk about not slavery is bad, but how you should treat your slave. Right? So if the Bible can get something fundamentally ethically wrong, like it is wrong to own other people, then you really have to critically look at what that book means from a more metaphorical standpoint to you as opposed to the literal standpoint, because we, we don't do slavery anymore unless it's consensual, you know, between, you know, a dom and a sub, but you know, we, we we don't do this anymore to people. This is, this is something that's abhorrent to most of the world. And it, it brings into question all the things that you get taught as a kid growing up in religious traditions of where is your God when, when bad things happen? I don't mean like I stubbed my toe in the middle of the night. Where is my God? I mean, when bad things happen. Yeah. The big question that that, that has been asked forever uh, Mm -hmm. is, is why does God allow so much suffering? Why does God allow evil things to occur? Yeah. Yeah. And, and when it comes to uh, it's addressed, you know, that's one of the things that prior addresses the council right away. It's like, what are you guys doing about, AIDS and they're like, yeah. yeah, we we we're trying. We we can't really get a There's handle on it. There's nothing we can do. There's yeah. nothing we can, <laughs> we can do, do about it. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. We've tried. 
mm-hmm. you know? So it, it's, like it's kind of, it also goes back to when Lewis gives uh Kaddish for Roy Cohn, that, that thought about forgiving your vanquished enemy is an important one in Christianity as a religion is probably important in other religions where you forgive and forget the enemies. And I mean, it's in the Lord's prayer, you know, forgive those who trespass against me and please um, ask for forgiveness from those who I've trespassed upon. Right. Mm -hmm. That, that is, that is a key tenet of that religion. And I think it was important to see the most evil person in the play who died a very difficult death. Oh, in this, God. in this, actually, be forgiven for all of his acts because we're going to get something good out of his death by saving other people's lives, even if it's oh, inadvertent. It. <laughs> yeah, and not, and even not, if it's inadvertent, and yeah. not just forgiven, but forgiven from the one woman who should not forgive him. Well, who has I mean, every she, reason not to forgive him. She did have you, son of a bitch. <laughs> she did have you, you son of a bitch. Right. But, you know, it's yeah, it's very when she sings the song uh-huh. and um and because he's Roy is pleading for his mother and she can't she just can't help herself and and then she thinks he's dead and then he sits up and he says I win you know I got you to sing the song I win and it's and, and so it's like, you damn bastard yeah but the thing yeah. is yeah it's so I think it's so obvious at the moment of the play that he didn't win at all it's no. it's she and in that final mo- moment, Ethel finds compassion. She finds humanity mm-hmm. at, at the person who did the absolute who violated her in a way that is would seemingly be unforgivable, and yet she still finds that humanity. And he can't. <laughs> no, he yeah. can't. He can't mm-hmm. do it. Although, did you like the uh, Ethel mentions that her hatred is an acid green star? And when Belize goes to turn off the equipment, the heart monitor still has that green glowing mm-hmm. dot in the middle of it, which mm-hmm. turns into star. a star in the heavens. Yes. Which was past. so like, well done. Mm-hmm. There was so much symbolism in yep. this, in the especially in the last three. And it was just, it was just like, wow. You know, you, there's no way, you know, you can walk out of this unchanged. You can't. Mm-hmm. There, there's uh, one more scene I want to talk about. It's the Lewis, um, Joe, uh, Joe scene. Oh, where, at, at the apartment? At the apartment. Because this was something that, I don't know, Mary, if you read court rulings, I'm kind of a SCOTUS junkie. Um, I, I read court rulings when it affects my people. They, they actually, uh, there's a saying that says, you know you have privilege if you've never had to wake up and read a Supreme Court ruling about your your personage you know well there was one today Um, there was one today yep um but the the fact that a ruling like that occurred and that ruling did occur that was actually a real legal thing that occurred where the guy admitted he was gay before he joined the army and then when he retired they said oh you're homosexual we can't give you your pension that really happened and they did give him the pension first because they said homosexuals were a protected class. And then 
they appealed that ruling because they didn't want homosexuals in the army. And then they, they awarded it to him on a technicality because the army knew he was gay. They had to give him his pension, not because homosexuals were a protected class. Mm -hmm. And then it would take till what, like 20, what? 20. Exactly. (laughs) The the Obama administration for us to get any semblance of, of rights and recognition. You know, it wasn't until 2002, I think, where Lawrence v. Texas decriminalized gay sex as, as in the country. So th- this type of legal wrangling was going on very hot and heavy back in the uh, Reagan years. And it would be like, okay, what's happening to us now? Right. What, what, is, what is the deal today? And the fact that you would have closeted individuals in government enact this type of stuff against your own people happened all the time yeah that's it i bet you a bunch of it we don't know about i mean that's what we were talking about before that it's not Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily the straight people who are Mm -hmm. the the greater evil yep no we talked about that the last episode and yeah but this was just such a good scene it was absolutely i mean i but that scene there's not a bad scene in this thing no but the scene (laughs) in the apartment oh where he was throwing the legal briefs at Mm -hmm. and it was just it was just and he just kept on you know going and going and then to see the violence and Mm -hmm. you know oh please forgive me forgive me can you see i see blood coming out of my head you know it was just Mm -hmm. like it was like it's like that just crossed the line it's like there's no going back from that no well belize kind of set it off by saying roy cones butt boy well exactly Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it's like, bang, dude, you don't know anything about this guy. And he works in the same building. And he didn't know that he was friends with Roy Cohn. Well, and also, Joe really never saw any problems with what he was no. doing. No. He yeah, wasn't remorseful. Right he wasn't even no. educated about what he was doing. He was just... Mm-hmm. He, he was, was just a good. He was a good little boy, right. good he little was, Republican he, boy. He was. He did what he was told to do. Mm-hmm. I could just see Roy. You know, he could be ending up, you know, in some office and just sitting there for the rest of his life, being mm-hmm. a yes man and just being so closeted and just like it's. I don't see a positive outcome for him at all. You mean Joe? Joe, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Roy's an octopus. Oh, Roy is. You know, feel free to have like calamari. I know it's not actually octopus, but feel free. To, <laughs> when you go to your uh, seafood restaurants, feel free to order octopus if it's offered to you. Well, uh, Netflix got that new documentary on him, that uh, octopus documentary on, on, mm, on, yeah, on, on Roy Cohn. So. I think I'll pass on that. <laughs> enough, of, uh, enough of Roy Cohn for one lifetime. You know? Absolutely. Al- although Nathan Lane was the last Roy Cohn. Uh, he was the last actor that I know of to play wow. um, that Roy Cohn. Oh, it was it was very interesting. And uh, he's like, it was hard to find people who liked him in wow. his research. Yeah, Well, he's the only one who's doing a real person. So he kind of has an extra acting challenge there of trying to not be Roy Cohn, but to emulate Roy Cohn, right? Because this isn't the real Roy Cohn. They're, they're taking yeah. a great deal of liberties with Roy Cohn here, right? Well, he so got him as a human and not yeah. as a cardboard character. Exactly. So you've got to bring something about him that was likable to to the play, or else it's just playing a one-note villain. And that's 
you can't do that when all these other characters are this complex. You can't bring that to the table. So, well, I think, uh, I mean, we talked about the actors and, uh, uh, in the first half when we were, mm-hmm. in the, and it's just get, they just, you know, get better and better through the second half too, especially with all the, the weighty material and all the monologues that they have to handle in this, but they do so, so well, um, that, uh, uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine other folks in the role. I mean, I'm I'm really eager to see uh, examples of the others, and I'm not saying that it can't be done, but everybody just fits so well in this production. And the you know we've talked about cinematography and directing wise and writing wise, everything is great. Uh, Music wise, uh, I mean, it's amazing. It's 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 no 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 question for in our minds why this was so universally praised. But I'm kind of curious as we sort of start to wrap up here, what the uh what the legacy is oh wow um i I think the legacy of angels is the beginning of being able to actually talk about hiv and aids Um, i know there were some tv movies um early on like in the 90s um some in the 80s but it was very heavy-handed like you know those after school specials? Yeah, it's kind it was of like, like that, weeping you know? movie of the week. Yeah. So you, you meet the guy, guy gets AIDS 10 minutes in, the last hour is him in a hospital dying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like wash, rinse, repeat, right? I and think, and uh, there are other successful ones. I think Philadelphia is probably the best example yeah. of that. Which Philadelphia is, not thing, is, but... is okay, but Philadelphia is really about Denzel. It's not about the Tom Hanks character. And that's something that once again, we've talked about this before, the bury your gaze trope, mm-hmm. where the death of Tom Hanks' character serves to uplift the motivation and movement of the Denzel Washington character. This is not about the actors. This is just how it was written and how it was produced and directed. He only gets a peck on the cheek from Antonio Banderas in the hospital scene. They're not shown as lovers in Philadelphia. They, they are, but that's not on screen at all. Right. It is all about the Denzel Washington homophobia, I'm going to catch AIDS arc. That's what that movie is really about. So, you know, I I have to look at Philadelphia and go, it was important that it got out there. It was good that they used these well-known actors to get that message out there. But at the end of the day, it was another barrier gaze trope movie. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, This wasn't. Prior lives. He's he's front and center and, and he lives. Now, why Roy Cohn dies, yes. Sure. But Roy Cohn is as villainous a villain as you can get. You know, he's he's barely redeemable. And one could argue that he's irredeemable. It's just that because of his gift to these other people who maybe will have an extended life now, we have to give but thanks for that. His gift wasn't intentional, though. No, he, he it was... wasn't. He was he was going to die with it and probably just let it go to waste. Well, what was the line Belize said? Um, forgiveness is where love and justice meet. Yes. And it's not easy. It doesn't count if it's easy. Right? When you I, can say I'm sorry, but if it doesn't mean anything, if you don't have trouble choking out those words, that's a meaningless apology. Right. That's just, you know, giving, you know, ugh, just bleh, no. bleh. You There's know. just so many powerful moments in this, though. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, if you haven't watched this, folks, and you're still listening to us on a bonus <laughs> episode, 
please watch it. It is just well, amazing. It really I, is. I think that speaks to at least as far as I, uh, you know, it, you know, the subject matter is the subject matter, and 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 I think it addresses that better than most. But the the elegance of it and the beauty of it and just uh, the way that it all comes together. I think mm-hmm. uh, the fact that you know the play was done in '93. So what did we establish? That was 30 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the, the miniseries is 20 years old now. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and yet I'm watching it and it feels just as fresh and relevant as it was was then in both cases, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. and even more so. I mean, with if you, if you add the implications of COVID on top of it, it just... It feels like it's like someone just made this yesterday. Um, I, I I think you know as far as as far as as a piece goes, the legacy of it means that it I mean it's still not aged really, and and the mm-hmm. fact that it it's good in some ways, but it's bad in others because the fact that it's still relevant, particularly when it comes to AIDS, is I mean the fact that AIDS is still running rampant and is still out there and 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 it's not talked about nearly as much as it should mm-hmm. be um i think last i saw like at least like a million people in america were diagnosed with it like every year right it's continuing mm-hmm. so and it's even worse in like third world countries or oh, yeah. right. it's right. become more, say, more of a yeah. class thing now and mm-hmm. as covid also pointed out what, what a difference there is when a disease is going through a community that has no power yep when, when you're when you have education on your side and you have economics on your side, you typically have it easier in a pandemic mm-hmm. because you you typically are able to take steps to protect yourself. But if you're not listening to that, and unfortunately, a lot of guys in the '80s didn't even know that they were swimming in a pandemic before it was too late, right? And there was nothing to be done. But thankfully, in the mid '90s, we got the proteas inhibitors which have enabled many, many people to keep on living. And it's turned AIDS more into a chronic disease than an instant death sentence, which is an amazing gift in and of itself. You know, I would love to have a cure. I would love to have a vaccine. Every time there's, you know, a news blurb about one, you hope and you hope and you pray and you pray. And then something goes wrong with it. I think there's actually one person who's technically been cured of HIV but that he went through a very experimental process of having his blood taken out of his body and boiled and then put back into his body. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not uh. feasible. In a grand it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's not feasible. And you wouldn't want, it's not dialysis. It's like his blood was boiled. Yeah. And the problem is, is HIV will hang out in your bone marrow. So it's hard to get to in places. So uh, we, we've talked about HIV and AIDS because it's part of the, it's a big thrust of what this movie is about. But I just want to mention if anyone out there has questions about that or needs um, advice on where to go, I'd like to refer you to www.amfar.org, A-M-F-A-R. That is um, a really well-known, long-lasting AIDS advocacy charity group, and they can refer you to people in your local area who are good to deal with and uh, can help you uh, find some questions and maybe some resources for you to help you deal with it, whether you have it or whether you're scared you have it or whether you're helping take care of someone who does have it. Yep, I agree completely. Thanks, Darren, with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely, folks, if you have any questions at all, there's so many resources, but that's one of the best out there, 
for you to check out. Um, as we like to say, thanks everybody for listening. Mm-hmm. Um, Angels of America um, are is available on HBO Max streaming. It's you know definitely worth watching if you get a chance, please. Or if you haven't seen it in quite some time, it is moving and it's it's wonderful. It is you know I'm so glad we did this. This was. A great thing, sir. Well, it's a little somber to do this for Pride, but I felt it was important to start putting more real stuff and handle more, you know, day-to-day topics in the LGBT rainbow room because, you know, you can only do the camp classics for so long mm-hmm. before people go, come on, let's 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 get to some good stuff. But I wanted to do a really, really good thing that re- revolved around HIV and AIDS. And this is one of the best pieces out there. No Absolutely. Question. And it's, you know, I mean, I, I think I'm glad that I got a chance to rewatch it again um, because it's definitely worth a rewatch. As Mike said, watch it mm-hmm. again, because it, it, especially if you haven't seen it for a while, because it's, it's a whole different experience, especially post COVID. It's a whole different experience. Mm-hmm. And, this is definitely one that, that you, yeah, you're not going to get on the first watch. <laughs> like, no. I mean, mm-hmm. it's going to be impressive. But it's in a lot of things will stay with you. But, you know, a second watch, a third watch, you know, I just it doesn't it doesn't age. No, it doesn't. And it has the play feel to it. Like, you know, they they kept that, that it feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, it is a it's a production and more than just a movie. And it's it was wonderful. Definitely check it out, folks. I'm glad you all liked it. And, and don't don't think that the fantasy elements in any way detract from or take away from what the experience really was like during that time. When when I I lived in San Francisco in 1988, you were in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> it did not feel like heaven. And no, it did not. Um, I also I remember I had a friend. And I can tell you, he died on November 23rd, 1992, and he was 32 years old, and he was the son of religious missionaries. He actually spent most of his life growing up in Japan. He he looked like a Mormon white bread boy, and he spoke fluent Japanese, Mm -hmm. and he, he was a very just creative person amazing person and i remember vividly him lying in the hospital and his family not coming to visit yep and that you know that so don't don't think that uh what tony kushner put down was you know glossing over or or making it worse making it worse than it was because this is what it was yeah this is exactly what it was yeah, they didn't pull punches in this, and they shouldn't there, have. There's a there's a theatrical element to, but it there's, there's not a lot of over dramatization. Let's mm-hmm. say. And yeah, no. one of the doctors who worked at the CDC at the time said doctors don't have patients dying two, three a day as a regular occurrence, but that was going on, and it went on for years, and that was what it was. It was it was it was awful. That's why I have. I, except for the music, I have a hard time with 80s nostalgia, personally, because I think the 80s were an awful time uh, as a gay person. They were awful. I spent my 90s 
um, volunteering for food banks, putting together food for people who could not shop for their own. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to deliver uh, one, my car was crap. And two, I don't know how I would handle if I knocked on someone's door and they were no longer there. Oof. Right. Yeah. So I just put together the food on Friday nights for about five years of my twenties, thirties, um, trying to help out, do what I could. Um, it was, it was all hands on deck because if it, if it wasn't for the lesbians, the gay men would have had a really tough time about it because the lesbians saved gay men in the eighties. And that's really when it, where our community did come together. Yeah, I mean, because before we were very segregated. Yeah, I, I had boys on that side, girls on yeah, that side. I totally you know? agree with you that that was one good thing that yep. that came out of this experience, is it did really draw us all together. Because mm -hmm. who else had gay men's backs? No one. Exactly. I mean, I don't. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a hard time, especially younger people, um, knowing what it was really like to be to be gay at that time and how how bereft everyone felt because there was no help from in the beginning of the of the pandemic there was no help from anywhere we we had to do it ourselves yep made us tougher yep that's for damn sure well, I think that should wrap it up right there <laughs> on everything. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Darren, thank you as always. You're welcome, sir. Mary, thank you so, so much. Thank you. And Mr. Mike. As always, it's my pleasure. On behalf of all of us, thank you for listening to Earth Station One. We will be back with our regular programming in a couple days. And look for it. We're going to be talking all about Sweet Tooth. Until then, on behalf of all of us, peace, stay safe, and please take care of yourself and hug your loved ones if you get a chance. Take it easy, folks. And we're done. Boom. Woohoo! Hello, everyone. Dr. Geek here with a shout out to all the scientists who worked tirelessly to bring a COVID 19 vaccine into reality. <laughs> Let's face it. Creating something of this magnitude is a miracle worthy of Dr. McCoy himself. And now, Dr. Geek needs you to do your part. Remember, each shot is one small step back to normal, one giant leap to putting the pandemic behind us. We can do this. For more information, visit vaccines.gov to find your nearest provider. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon 
or by shopping for the Tea Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.